0: Hello, this is John Bwerie, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. This episode, I'm joined by Paul van Deventer, President and CEO of Community Partners, a comprehensive incubator for nonprofits and social impact initiatives. We met at one of Community Partners' sponsored projects, Libros Schmibros, a lending library located in the ever-changing cultural crossroads of Boyle Heights. Drawing from Paul's more than four decades of working with communities, we discussed his concept of civic reach and how it can make or break a nonprofit or community effort. You have seen a lot of projects, a lot of nonprofits start and succeed, perhaps start and fail. Um, And there's probably some observations that you've made about their success as it relates to their interaction with community. I want to get to that, but first I want to talk about a concept that I've heard you speak about and read things you've written about around civic reach, Mm -hmm. and can you explain what civic reach is and and how that concept works uh, just generally first?
1: Sure. Civic reach, as I see it, uh, is a concept that kind of grew out of uh, what it takes for uh, a community group, a new venture uh, in the social arena, to anchor itself and be successful. And civic reach is both a personal quality and an organizational uh, both quality and aspiration. And uh, we all need it in order to be part of our community. And essentially, it means uh, the collection of relationships, of uh, your general knowledge of a community, the landscape, um, how power works in a community. and your connection to that uh, as an organization, as an organization leader, um, or simply someone who uh, wants to work within the broader civic infrastructure. Uh, You've gotta have this capability, civic reach. Uh, Without it, you can become an island, separate from uh, the dynamics of a community, a complex civic and urban
0: environment. Watching all these nonprofits over the years, helping them support where they can grow, yeah. and sometimes having that tough conversation about maybe this isn't working. Um, can you give us an example of ones that have used Civic Reach to their success, and also ones that maybe had suffered by not using Civic Reach? How does that uh, manifest itself and play out?
1: Sure. Um, a quick example of uh, a group uh, that Uh, was started by uh, a former Occidental College professor and um, mayor of Santa Monica, uh, a guy named Denny Zane, um, called Move LA. And uh, at the time a few years ago when uh, Los Angeles uh, voters were asked to approve uh, Measure M and then Measure R, uh, which were uh, basically taxes to uh, increase the amount of money going into transit in the region. Uh, Denny, um, long established in various circles across the city, uh, used his relationships and his knowledge of the region to craft the success um, along with a great number of uh, uh, co-sponsors and advocates and um, activists and civic leaders uh, what became uh, the most successful bond initiative perhaps in uh, the history of the country because of the amount of money that um, the voters voluntarily uh, elected to uh, bring to this pursuit of metro rail uh, in Los Angeles, light rail and so on. And uh, Denny, um, mastered uh, what the uh, the community equation was going to be uh, and needed to be in order for that uh, initiative to pass. Uh, he would never ever claim sole credit. And uh, I wouldn't attribute sole credit. It took Mayor Ragosa, it took a lot of other people um, and then the electorate uh, to really uh, to really move that into a place where it generated the funds that it generates. Um, that's a very, very successful uh, example. Uh, we've had certain uh, projects, uh, the one I'm thinking about is in the arts arena um, and uh, started by uh, highly qualified, highly talented artists and yet uh, those artists wanted to practice and produce their art. That was all they really cared about uh, as an organization. Um, as a consequence, they weren't uh, curious about what it took to link to all of the other potential arts resources in the community, uh, the relationships it took. Um, and the, f- the project didn't uh, fail as much as it uh, failed to thrive. Right, And uh, I think the linkage between individual leaders of nonprofit and social ventures uh, that they have across multiple networks in Los Angeles um, is the secret alongside a good idea to their success.
0: And so when these projects that don't seem to connect, is there a way that you can help them? At what point can you intervene? At what point could an organization recognize and they're not connected, how do they go about then building those connections, that civic reach, that engagement with the community?
1: Well, the the seemingly easy answer, but the hard answer is um, one relationship at a time. (laughs) Um, We've urged folks to plot uh, what we call the civic power grid, uh, at which their organization sits as a center and what's the first tier of relationships uh, that they have that's closest to them that connects them to more relationships along the way in City Hall, in, arts, uh, in the uh, arts philanthropic community to individual patrons of the arts who might uh, donate or fund their cause to uh, the formal institutions uh, in the county and the city um, that can uh, give them endorsement, and nationally, the NEA and right. uh, the California Arts Council. What are those connections that they can begin to make, just by virtue of the most close network of people that they know, which would be people who are naturally interested and drawn to
0: uh, their work. So then, go. Let's go even more specific. Yeah, they've done this mapping for themselves. They've got this this list of a hundred people they could talk to. Yeah. Uh, you sit one relationship at a time. What are the things they say? What do they do? How do they get from, you know, from sitting in their in their kitchen around around their kitchen table with their colleagues with this idea and this foundation, at, to the the NEA? What is this? What is it that it takes physically or physically and tactically to get there?
1: Well, one of the first things I would say in response—that's a complicated question—but one of the, one of the first things I would say is they need to be firmly grounded in what they're trying to accomplish, not just in the way of their organizational purpose, but their broader civic purpose and how their organization is gonna make a difference for people in communities who they care about and wanna serve. So they've gotta start there and they've gotta make the absolute strength of that case. They've gotta make it narratively about where they fit into the overall story of community or emergent community. They've got to make it work uh, factually. So they have to understand population demographics, economics of the people that they're trying to serve, the life situation of the the folks that they're trying to serve. And they have to be able to articulate that case um, in whatever metaphor it takes to develop a relationship with someone who will understand a particular metaphor. Um, they have to think about how that person is perceiving community and their organization and where that person's broader interests lie. Um, So that's a starting place. Um, uh, You know, I think about uh, Al Rodriguez who I co-founded Community Partners with back in the early 90s. Al was a partner in a major law firm and Al uh, saw Numerous projects. He was a tax exemption, a tax exempt uh, organization attorney, uh, worked with a lot of private foundations, a lot of big nonprofits. Um, but he saw so many different projects that would come his way through partners in the law firm, through clients, uh, asking for free incorporation <laughs> um, and free tax exempt uh, application process with the IRS. Uh, and Al really had a difficult time discerning uh, whether an individual coming to him had the mojo, the muscle, um, the civic reach, uh, the gravitas um, to succeed. And uh, it, was, it was in the seed of that experience that he had uh, that he began to conceive of something, uh, he called it a, a foundation for emerging philanthropies. Um, that would serve as a, a jumping off place and a testing ground for new ideas. Uh, to give people time to see, does this work? Do I have the right stuff? Uh, to, and the stomach uh, for all the ambiguities that come with starting a new project. And, um, you know, Al saw Los Angeles like uh, uh, Baskin Robbins, you know, uh, 31 flavors <laughs> of ice cream. Um, He loved his work because of that, and it's what makes uh, a community such an interesting place to be. Uh, Not the big, broad dynamics and the big politics of the community, but those individual efforts that add up to um, the potential for improving people's lives and long-term change in a place.
0: So, you know, yourself, Al, a list of other folks that we could uh, uh, list out here are passionate about the diversity of the city, the potential of the city of this region, and we could probably find your equivalent in cities across the country. People who are uh, passionate and connected within their their communities and understand the dynamic and opportunity uh, within that community. We know those people exist. Why is it that some people exist like that and others have a passion without recognizing the opportunity? They lack that civic reach. What is the difference? Why do those people also exist and continue to emerge. What's missing in their formula that makes it so they don't see what you've seen and others have seen across the country?
1: There was a great story in the New Yorker magazine back in the 1990s, and it was written by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote The Tipping Point. It was about a woman named Lois Weisberg in Chicago. And Lois was the consummate connector. And he asked her, why is it that when new people come to uh, Chicago and they're looking to kind of get anchored in the community and connected up, uh, they always end up coming to you? Um, And she was thinking about that and said, well, first of all, I straddle about 11 different networks in Chicago um, and they all have their different, you know, place in the civic culture. Um, And, I have, from various acquaintances and associations and roles that I've played in, uh, happen to know a lot of people in all of those areas. Um, and she was describing herself as a consummate connector. And he asked her, "But why?" The question, "But why?" Um, and Lois responded, "Because I can't not connect people to others." Uh, she actually saw herself, and I recognized an echo, a resonance of my own habitual uh, desire to introduce people to other people. Um, uh, I recognized a little bit of Lois Weisberg and myself, Um, and I think that's what it takes, is this compelling kind of um, uh, awe of community, its complexity, its variety, knowledge of who's out there doing things and this urgency um, and frankly fun of making acquaintances between people who would not know each other otherwise, um, who need a little warming up in the introduction and uh, then a prophet or um, prophet career-wise and and otherwise, uh, from the relationship. And I particularly love doing this with young people. Um, Because young people kind of come out of their education with a bit of mystification about the complexity of a civic culture and the one that they're immersed in. And uh, my early training in this came from Coro Southern California. Um, an organization I have the deepest respect for um, but that also uh, fosters this notion of uh, you've got to have curiosity and awe about the place that you're from and a certain and approach it with a certain humility and I think it's part of humility that causes me to want to introduce people to meet one another um, because I think they'll make a good match and that match might make this community a better place. Uh, so that's a long answer to a short question, but I think it has something to do with a need to see people connected uh, in a community uh, that I can't uh, resist, and that others who are like me—and there are a lot of people like me—can't resist.
0: So how do you consciously continue to expand your network? If you, if this is what you're compelled to do, at some point you've. You've reached the limit of, your, of the existing network and you have to consciously grow that network. New initiatives, new people come to town. How do you, Paul, reach out and create new relationships?
1: Well, guess what? Once you start doing this, it has the character of, uh, what do they call it, a virtuous cycle. Um, people start introducing you <laughs> to other people um, who they think would be interesting and uh, productive for you to know. Um, So it's hard for me to walk into uh, any setting where I know, you know, two or three people and not come away from there uh, knowing two or three more. Um, You're great at doing (laughs) this kind of thing. You, uh, you know, I think um, have, have capitalized well on the kind of relationships that you're compelled to, uh, but do you do you
0: consciously choose though? I guess that's the question. You know, you've <coughs> you've had a you've had a uh, a long successful career in this space. Sure. So you're not just starting out. You're 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 there. You're one of the leaders of Los Angeles in this space. How do you find? Hey, I need to meet this person. Do you actually seek people out? Sure. And and, and how do you make that approach?
1: Sometimes, absolutely cold. Uh, sometimes by um, the uh, by placing myself in a setting uh, where I'm not necessarily comfortable. Uh, I love going to Urban Land Institute events. Urban Land Institute is engineers, architects, developers, uh, brokers of uh, uh, land deals. Well, a lot of the business of Los Angeles happens in development um, and it happens that many developers really do know the city. They know the politics of the city um, and they know the space, the land, the physical landscape of the city. Talking to them about where Boyle Heights is going or where uh, Southeast Los Angeles is going um, and how they see 30 years out over the horizon is a fascinating thing. So I made community partners a member of Urban Land Institute and I get all the invitations to their activities. So uh, 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 I can walk into a room, have an interesting conversation about what I do and people inevitably want to share what they do um, and we end up exchanging business cards. So yes, I, put, I try to not put my target um, Individuals as much as settings. Gotcha.
0: So, with the, again with this this more than two decades of experience, three decades of experience uh, at Community Partners, how has the organization changed in response to this deep understanding of the community and the the dynamic shift in the community? Right, there's some oscillation in this this city yeah. since ninety. I mean, ninety two was a a very a turning point for Los Angeles. We had civil unrest in the early part of the year. Two years later, we had an earthquake and and we've had dynamic shifts ever since. So this is not the same city of 1992. Right. How do you grow, how do you respond, how do you flex in relationship to the change of the community?
1: A little background, Uh, when I and Al were first um, creating community partners, we studied similar civic intermediary organizations in other cities. And one of the um, uh, wonderful examples uh, that we looked at was a group called the Fund for the City of New York. And New York is a fund and is and for a long time has been a fundamentally different place than Los Angeles with its uh, concentration, its hierarchical concentration of land and space and development uh, and its uh, hierarchical civic culture, very kind of um, layered like a layer cake. compared to Los Angeles. But the fund for the city of New York grew into and out of that particular civic culture and was built as a linkage between government and community and a facilitator of government doing even better uh, work than New York government did uh, to uh, foster um, well-being in communities and so on. Um, So we kind of, respected that model um, uh, and and looked at other models as well. And I always had in the back of my mind that community partners uh, could start uh, with this uh, thing we call fiscal sponsorship which is really helping civic and social entrepreneurs get launched. Um, And that eventually we would know and be credible enough in the landscape of this of of uh, city hall and the county and uh, the business community uh, to um, become and aspire to becoming a a helpful link for government when government needed to do uh, research and development on a particular uh, community or a a particular idea and uh, we both encourage that and sometimes we sponsor projects that uh, are built to aid government in implementing uh, change. Um, and so uh, that that particular part of our role is really an expanding aspirational uh, part of what we do in the last, um, probably the last, in earnest, the last 10 years or so. Uh, positioning for that, that was the first uh, 10 to 12 years of, uh, 10 to 15 years of community partners' uh, existence. Um, So I I would say uh, that's been a major sort of expansion and diversification of what we do. And another area is we've started to share some of what I'd call the privileged insight that we have about the community um, in the form of uh, books and publications and conversations. The notion of civic reach I've spoken about a lot Uh, we became expert in uh, the management of coalitions and development of coalitions, uh, what we call networks, uh, both simple networks and and highly complex collaborative networks. And um, that's we published a book a few years ago on that topic, Uh, this notion of the civic power grid and how uh, it's really important to understand, do a careful landscape assessment, um, of where you sit in the civic power grid, and where you aspire to sit, uh, is another part of what we've uh, begun to disseminate as, uh, what we, uh, as thought partners for the broader community.
0: And as you go and look into the future with your organization, knowing what you know about community, know about its, uh, its nature, that it's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Where do you see? Do you continue to see us community partners fostering more? Uh, nonprofit projects? Do you think there's less? Uh, do you think that you're doing more of these institutional projects, the linkages, uh, and the connection between government initiative and community? Where do you think it's headed? Where do you think this community is headed based on the knowledge you have of the community? Sure.
1: I think um, a community uh, doesn't change simply by a uh, by having a variety of niches where new and interesting things are happening. Uh, At a certain point, those niches need to align and form uh, movement patterns that begin to uh, influence and shape um, things. I'm compelled by the recent uh, uh, teacher strike in Los Angeles and how there's talk right now on the wake of the teachers having earned uh, so much uh, empathy and sympathy from uh, the general public about a new movement toward a revitalization of public schools um, and interest in public schools. We'll see if that happens and we'll see if there's the energy in communities from enough niches of parent involvement in community schools and so on, Um, but uh, there's, there's always hope where a variety of different niches focused on similar kinds of problems begin to come together and you see that a lot in communities where the niche uh, activity begins to build its own momentum and pressure and put pressure on the broader system Um, quite honestly charter schools are a big example of that Um, charter schools uh, are not private and they're not public. They're quasi-private, quasi-public. Right. And that emergence of charter schools as an alternative has been revolutionary when it comes to uh, Los Angeles. Um, yes, it's had a pushback quality on public schools and uh, it's drawn to a certain extent of, um, uh, 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 students from uh, potential students from private schools um, but in itself as an alternative to uh, two established systems um, and, and, and a very successful third option um, has has created a change in the landscape. Where do I see Los Angeles going? Um, slow accretions of change over time. One of the most compelling right now uh, I hinted at a little earlier is this uh, these uh, these conversations and the tensions around gentrification in communities like Boyle Heights, and uh, gentrification uh, happens uh, in a lot of communities where there is a compelling interest on the part of people to live nearer to the core of activities, closer to alternative forms of transportation, and we have in a way, as as a a region, kind of spread ourselves, pushed ourselves out to our edges, and now we're lapping back (laughs) uh, onto, like water in a a tank. We're lapping back onto the centers. And what have we done in the meantime to make those centers more compelling? Well, transit, which establishes mobility patterns um, for entire communities, uh, has, Uh, taken a a surge. When we started Community Partners um, in 1992, there were probably um, uh, some visions of uh, what transit, uh, uh, rail transit might look like in Los Angeles, Um, but not a lot of it had gone into the ground. We're sitting here almost 30 years later and we have billions of dollars to spend. We have over 200 stations built Uh, in Los Angeles. And every one of those stations is a center for new populations to locate because it's close to ways to move around and new uh, development of all kinds, new economic activity. uh, And it's bringing back opportunities from people from the margins to come live in the city again. And the question of gentrification is, what about displacement? And that's a legitimate question that has to be addressed. Um, now we're starting to do more in the arena of affordable housing and creating permanent spaces for people to live. And thinking through how we do that with some conscientiousness um, and to a certain degree, regulate development uh, so that it happens uh, in a way that doesn't displace worker housing or affordable housing. Um, is absolutely critical to the region. But I think this changing of the concentration of populations is clearly in the cards um, for Los Angeles. Um, and it'll make us a closer, tighter city, which will not make us ever look quite like New York looks like. We just have more land mass. Um, and it'll be ages before that happens but it will cause us to rethink our relationships with one another in some fundamental ways. Um, How do I know my neighbor? Well, people in New York know their neighbor better, um, and not always productively, but uh, better uh, because they travel together with them on that great leveler, the subway system. Um, Incidentally, uh, New Yorkers uh, tend to be six pounds lighter on average than Los Angelinos, uh, because they walk a lot to get from station to station and from station to work and home, uh, and play. Uh, but the the notion of uh, this uh, feeling at one with our neighbors, rather than um, you know in the isolation of our picket fenced little house, uh, is going away in Los Angeles, and we have a new era of. Closer relationships um, that we've got to come to terms with.
0: And those relationships matter because it goes back to where we started with the civic reach and how you build a community is one relationship at a time. Absolutely. This is great, Paul. I want to go into our lightning round. Yeah. Um, and in this, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and uh, you just give me the first thing, short answer, word, couple words, no long answers here. So it's, it's the multiple choice oh. without the multiple choice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Who is a leader who has influenced you and in your work?
1: Um, I would say uh, Al Rodriguez, okay. uh, who I worked with. It uh, was my board chair for many years.
0: Okay. What book has changed the way you think about your work and community?
1: Um, I'm reading uh, right now a book about uh, the French Revolution uh, and a critical time in the history of France. Um, uh, it's called um, uh, Citizen by Simon Schama.
0: What is the best quality in a partner to achieve good collaboration?
1: Transparency, honesty, authenticity.
0: What could nonprofits benefit from more of?
1: Go back to our conversation: civic reach. Okay.
0: And what could nonprofits benefit from less of? Uh,
1: the thought that they're uh,
0: uh, alone in what they do. What's the first place you turn to for information when working to understand an issue?
1: Uh, Generally, other people.
0: Um, What advice would you give 25-year-old you?
1: (laughs) Don't take yourself so seriously. (laughs) Okay. What's the best
0: career decision you ever made?
1: Uh, To give up what had become a thriving consulting business and take on community partners.
0: And so far, what has been your proudest moment?
1: Really goes to um, raising and uh, loving into existence my two boys.
0: Great. Thanks, Paul, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.